Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we are once again joined by Johnny Little from Citadel. And Johnny is a commercial property investor. And today on the show, we are going to get into more of the nitty gritty of commercial property. Specifically, let's start off by talking about the differences between commercial and residential, because they are very different, aren't they, Johnny? A fantastic place to start. Most people in New Zealand become intimidated very quickly by putting the commercial in front of property. And that's that's the point that they check out. Is that just because every man and his dog can be a residential real estate agent? I think that, as you would know more than anybody, everybody in New Zealand is a property investment expert. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've rented a house before. I've owned a house. I am now an expert. And so what is the key difference, particularly in terms of valuation and how you value a commercial property? What's the difference between residential and commercial? Well, look, I think most of the valuation principles are done on the basis of what is the income, how is it derived, how maintainable it is, and who is paying it. And I think before you even get into valuation, you kind of need to look at the, the fundamental differences between residential and commercial. And they probably fall into kind of two or three categories. And value is definitely one, but that is derived from income. But I think the the important thing to understand is that the difference between residential and commercial from an investment point of view is who is your tenant? How long are they going to be there renting the building from you and what do they pay? Do they pay a net lease, a gross lease, percentage turnover rental, has their rent reviewed, a whole lot of other things that come into it like that. So with residential, all very straightforward. You just find a tenant and they normally stay for a year and, well, they sign a one-year lease. After a year, you'd look to increase that maybe slightly or they look to move on and you replace them. With commercial, it's a bit different, right? Certainly it is. For example, that most banks will treat a building with a, with a lease of less than three years as basically vacant. So when you're looking at a commercial investment, you kind of your minimum point of view might be four or five years remaining on the lease. And I don't mean with renewals either. I mean the initial term remaining in the lease. So what would be a standard lease term? So that building was built today and, and someone was going to move into it. What sort of term would you be looking for normally? Well, that's a good question. I think in Christchurch, we're really lucky because we got to see the replacement of all of our new buildings in our whole CBD so, for example, when those buildings were built, most of the tenants, be they lawyers, banks, accountants, engineers, other professionals, all signed between eight, 15-year leases. Yeah, which is quite a long time when you think about it. I mean, some businesses won't even survive three years. Well, perhaps not in this environment, but <laughs> no, certainly, yeah. um, you know, when people say that eight or 10 years is such a long time, it's been nearly 10 years since the earthquakes, and a lot of those tenants are coming to the end of their initial terms. Very true. And of course, with people now maybe who have moved outside of the city, it's really interesting seeing a lot of people moving back into the city centre now. There was always going to be the rubber band effect where you stretch the rubber band out and it will come back and yeah. contract. And people are looking forward to moving back into what is now a vital CBD. And it's funny because people have pretty short memories, I think. I mean, post-earthquake, everyone moved out to the suburbs. You'd have, I know, lots of law firms who were working out of old villas. And warehouses. And, yeah, yeah, and warehouses yeah. And I was saying, oh, we're quite happy. This is quite nice. It's all very well and good until Duncan Cottrell move into the middle of town. <laughs> and then they don't want to be actually out in a suburb uh, in a villa. They want to be in the high street again and have that presence, right? Well, we forget about incidental commerce. The number of times where I have been walking down the street and seen, for example, yourselves or a lawyer or an accountant that we know or somebody else in the business and you stop, talk to them. What are they up to? Perhaps you grab a beer, have lunch, move on. You know, things happen through actually meeting with people. People, and we forget that. And just walk us through as well, Johnny, mm. those three different modes of paying rent. So the gross lease, the net lease, and the, and the percentage of turnover, because sure. some people won't be au fait with those. Sure. In Christchurch especially, the majority
majority of our commercial leases are net leases, which means that the amount that the landlord receives is a net amount plus GST, meaning that all operating expenses, for example, rates, insurance, building warrant of fitnesses, utilities, are actually paid by the tenant. A gross lease, which is more commonly found perhaps in areas where there is a paucity of good commercial land like Wellington Harbour, Auckland Harbour and actually Port Chalmers, they have a higher amount of leasehold land, mm. which has a completely different set of rules around it. But the difference between net and gross leases is what makes commercial property so attractive. And so if you compare that to residential where the landlord obviously receives the rent amount and then pays all of their own expenses, mm. with, with a commercial, all their operating expenses are paid for by the tenant, generally speaking, right? Correct. And what about percentage turnover? Because I didn't know too much about that. Talk to us about that. Percentage turnover is more likely to be found around a retail lease or an operating mall. Something like a Westfield, they would normally work on that kind of mechanism, yeah, right? Yeah, so you'll pay a base square metre rate, which comes to your annual rental, and then you'll pay a percentage of your turnover, perhaps between 2 and 6%, or perhaps higher, depending on where you are in the world. So something like a McDonald's often the way for them or something as well? Mm, I'm not too sure on the McDonald's leases, but I imagine that if you looked at any of the retail offerings through the more successful malls throughout New Zealand, there will be a section of percentage turnover rental. And now let's move on to talking about the cap rate or the capitalisation rate. Walk us through what that actually is Mm. and then the three factors that can change that over time. Most people, when they're listening to things about commercial property, they're asking or they're asked two questions. What's the yield or what is the cap rate? Now, the yield is something that represents the amount of return on the investment made. Now, yield can obviously vary depending on how long you've owned it. You're buying it at a different cap rate. Cap rate is short for capitalization rate, which means the amount of income versus the price that you pay for the property. So, for example, if you were to buy a building which had an income of $50,000 at a 5% yield, you'd pay a million dollars for it, giving you a yield of 5% because you're buying it on a cap rate of 5%. So this is the interesting thing about commercial compared to residential. With residential, it's really driven by emotion, right? And uh, supply and demand, That's the, these are your two major factors. Even if you're selling an investment property, so long as it's not too, it's not a room-by-room rental or something that's too limited, you're going to be able to appeal to someone's emotional desire to own that house. And so you can get an amount that maybe doesn't make economic sense as an investment flip that to commercial where it is just about the numbers. Someone's going to look at it and say, what's the income? They're going to look at something like the lease term and then they're going to value it accordingly. And this is how valuations work on these, right? Absolutely. So if we go back to the question, what are the differences between residential and commercial? You look at the income with commercial property and you look at how long it's maintainable and the covenant of the tenant to keep paying it. And those are the things which define value. So if you've got a very long-term lease, it's a net lease, it's a very good tenant and there's good structured growth in the rent reviews annually or every couple of years through the initial term, you're going to have a much, much lower cap rate, meaning that you're going to have a much higher value. So if you take a 10-year lease, for example, how do you structure those increases normally? So there's two or three ways of doing that as well. So you have what's called indexation, which means that you you link annually the lease to something like the consumer price index, which means, for example, the consumer price index from quarter to quarter on average in New Zealand will be somewhere between one and a half and maybe two percent, which means that your money's not being devalued through the course of the lease. Yes. So you will get those gains every year. 
You can have mechanised growth, which means that, for example, you may agree with a tenant that CPI can be a bit too variable or a bit too volatile. So you might want to say, well, look, let's just call it 2.5% annually. Yep. And that means that the tenant can cash flow their rental easily over that 10-year period. There might be other ways of doing it as well, like market reviews, which take into account evaluation. What is everybody else paying? We'll pay that too. And so I know that John has had a lot of experience in turning properties where there's not a lot of value into something that it's actually... But of a gold mine so there's a few ways you can do that obviously a big part is the lease so you've taken buildings which are empty or have got weak leases and then made them into something a bit more sexy I guess sure I mean probably a really good case study is property we sold recently where we bought a block of suburban retail shops we bought it from essentially an estate who had owned it for 30 years they'd never done a rent review that actually let all of the leases expired but all of the tenants were still there oh, wow it was earthquake damaged and hadn't been repaired so so was it in an estate more recently or it had been in a state for quite a long time? It had been in a state for a long time wow. and the family had just not known how to deal with it and didn't have the commercial advisors to know how to address it. And so issues. did you buy that through a private sale or through an agent? No, we bought it through an agent. We yep. actually paid the agent because they bought it to us so we quite often use purchaser agencies. Yes, yes. And so then and then, what did, what did you do? What were your first steps in that you bought it? We bought it. The first thing we did was actually analyse where the market rents were compared to where the actual rents were sitting. We wanted to look at whether the leases were gross or net, whether there was any tenure left in them or whether they had truly expired and actually were just running on month to month. How many of those tenants were able to stay? Well, that's the great part. Of the six tenants, four of them actually chose to stay on and and sign new six and eight year leases. I thought they might have walked given that they've probably been on the pig's back for a while. There were certainly a few conversations to that end, but once they knew that we intended to actually refurbish the property, bring it up to seismic A grade and redo it and actually provide them some amenity within their own asset. And so you flipped that one? You end up selling it again? Uh, we held it for a quite a long time, actually. Right, right, right. We, held, we held it for about eight years, but yeah. um, ceased serving a purpose. In terms of just maybe as a percentage, from when you purchased it to doing the work you needed to do and then getting it relit, what sort of money was involved? We originally bought the property for about 450000 We spent a couple of hundred thousand on it and sold it for about $1.3 million. Wow. Yeah, I guess that people underestimate how much residual value there can be in A, broken properties, B, poorly structured properies, and C, estate properties. Now, one of the th- big things with commercial is obviously there's a lesser LVR that a bank will lend you on that. So I'm guessing that you'd had to do most of that with a, with your cash, um, particularly yeah. the work, right? Actually, we purchased the, the physical asset out of cash, borrowed the money for the improvements. And is that in part because of the weak leases and the seismic work that needed done? Very much so, yeah. yeah. And that's reasonably complex. I mean, the numbers are small, but the fundamentals of that deal can be applied over whatever quantum you want to. And Johnny, it sounds like there's two real ways to make money in commercial property in terms of increasing the value of a property. One is to increase, or two basic ways based on the look you're giving me. One is to obviously increase the rent. The second is to decrease the cap rate. The lower the cap rate, the higher the valuation. It seems like in that case that you did both. You increased the rent and did rent reviews, but also you got the tenants on better leases and therefore decreased that cap rate. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, look, the benefit of time with commercial property, because you've got longer term leases, the market grows. That is, I mean, we can look back through New Zealand's history in commercial property and see that if you look over a 10 year period, it grows. It grows better than equities. It grows and it grows and it grows. It's it's no different from compounding interest. Where you've got good tenants and a well-located commercial property, a very stable income for a long period of time, 
and you will get good growth. And who do you think commercial property is right for and who do you think it's not right for? I think it's right for anyone who's prepared to actually investigate it. Somebody who's prepared to look closely at what they're buying, try their best to understand it and actually seek professional advice. And not right for? Not right for somebody who thinks they're going to make a million dollars overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the old Johnny. Yeah, that's I found In that the younger version. I, I think commercial property is for people who are looking to generate wealth, not generate income yep. overnight through transactions. Which is probably true for most property, I guess. All property should be about wealth generation, in my belief, you know, especially intergenerational wealth. For example, if you've got 10 residential properties or five residential properties, you should be looking at some kind of commercial investment. Yeah. And, and even if it's syndicated or proportional ownership, dipping your toe in the water and understanding what it's about is really important. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, why not to come along to our live podcast event? This is happening mid-September. We're coming to Wellington, Christchurch and Auckland, completely free event. So I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. So tap or swipe over the cover art. It'll take you right there. Or also just go to opaspartners.co.nz slash pod event. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the property market. Until next time, 